Thanks for calling Toyota. This is Jan. I just adopted a new best friend, and I'm looking for a Toyota so we can make the most out of summer. With a new RAV4, you can take your pup for a drive up the coast. You can take a Prius to the park. Or you can take a Tundra to kayak at a remote lake. One problem, Jan. Oh? My new best friend's a cat. Your summer starts here, but it all ends June 3rd. Toyota, let's go places. Dealer inventory may vary, so you're participating Toyota dealer for details. Visit your front-range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. And this ball in the air, deep right center field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Mile High Green Cross. Make sure to sign up for their loyalty program and you will get 20% off your entire purchase once per month. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me today is our guy, Patrick Lyons. Uh, we we actually had to do tag team duties earlier on the Denver Sports Podcast, so this is our second time appearing on a podcast together today. But this one actually will be all about baseball. And uh, while we've got some people along, if you want to fire questions at us by any means, anything, it's all on the table at this point. Got people on both the Facebook Live and the Periscope. Avs guys have the Twitch right now, so... Uh, that's fun. We've got a lot of live video going on on the DNVR side right now. But today I figured, Patrick, we would do a follow-up conversation uh, to an article I published on the DNVR.com for subscribers just a few days ago, in which I really named, anytime you do something like this, there's always going to be personal bias and personal preference involved. And so as much as I would like to say it's 100% the official DNVR starting five best Colorado Rockies pitchers of all time. Definitive. Um, it, it was it was the, the guys I picked. Uh, <laughs> Definitively but, Drew. That's right. Uh, that, that's correct. Um, so actually, I, I thought that we would start there because um, you and I actually had some text back and forths about a few of the guys that didn't make the list, uh, one of which I, I thought about for quite a bit of time when we went back and forth on. Uh, the other, I just didn't feel like I had a good enough personal understanding of. Uh, so before we get into the list proper, the, the best starting pitchers in Rockies history, the all-time starting five, uh, who are who are some of the honorable mentions, guys that just didn't quite make it in your mind? Uh, as far as guys that, you know, didn't quite make it, Kyle Freeland, he still has a way to go, but as I'm sure anyone can acknowledge, he's, he's on his way up. He definitely has that opportunity because once you hear the guys that are in the top five, none of them are so solid where you're like, oh my gosh, this is just an all-time great pitcher overall. Rockies don't have any all-time great starting pitchers, but they (laughs) do have some great Rockies pitchers. So uh, Jolie's Chassin was in the 
honorable mention category, I believe. And he's one that I actually believe should be in the starting rotation. We'll have to kind of discuss that. There's other guys on the fringe that have at least put forward, you know, a handful. And by Rocky standards, that means two really good seasons, like Tyler Chatwood, uh, John Thompson, Armando Reynoso, Roger Bailey. We dug really deep. We dug really <laughs> deep for this list. As Patrick went to, to Roger go. Bailey, y'all, like that, <laughs> like we're getting in there. Um, Will asking, was this pitcher's career or single seasons? This was their career, but as a Rocky. So, for example, I wasn't going to hold uh, Ubaldo Jimenez's post Rockies career against him, um, or, or for that matter, anybody else who might have gone on to do. Some great things. Uh, Sean Chacon had a decent post-Rockies career. Um, I'm trying to think of guys like Pedro Estacio had a decent uh, post-Rockies career. I still think he's an honorable mention. So it it wasn't really make or break in too many situations, but that was the idea. But also their whole careers, so I wasn't just taking them in their prime. And I think that's what got a lot of guys like Tyler Chatwood and – um, if we want to get into it now, Yoli Shasin, I, I think he's just one of those, like his numbers always looked a little bit better than he was. Um, it always took a bit of convincing. It never felt like he had any kind of killer instinct or if I may give shutters to our friend, Manny, a kind of winability. Uh, you know, it felt like he dominated bad teams and he lost to good ones and he never outpitched another team's ace ever in his life. Uh, and the way his career in Colorado ended, uh, I think with him more or less just quitting on the team, just showing up to spring sh- training way out of shape uh, at the end of a contract and the Rockies saying, you know what, dude, uh, after a down year or two, and it was just like, and no one was hurt. That's what's so weird to me is like nobody, when this guy left the team still at a, you know, he wasn't ancient. He's still not, uh, but he left the team kind of in the middle of a physical prime and no fans were crying out. I can't believe they let go of Chassin. It's like people were looking at that dude like he's cooked. Turned out maybe not, but hey. That, that's a fair estimation, and I, I think some of that you know does go into it because, again, this is all, all in fun, but when you're coming up with your, your dream rotation, you don't want a guy that's going to quit on you, right? You have, you know, you can look at the statistics of Bob Gibson and you might not be blown away by, you know, his career numbers didn't get 300 wins, but you hear anyone that played ball in the sixties and even early seventies, Bob Gibson's the first guy that they're going to mention when they talk about winning a big game. So a lot of that does factor in, I think with Chassin, actually to go back half a step, I think one of the factors in trying to evaluate the all-time great starting pitchers in this organization is to to almost forget about their worst seasons. If you remove any of those negative war seasons, I think that could help give a better understanding as to who the outliers are or who the pitchers who have dominated, right? Because not, not too many Rockies pitchers have dominated. It's, it's literally right. been Freeman and Ubaldo Jimenez, excuse me, right. Freeland and Jimenez, um, who have even gotten Cy Young votes, right? So if, if you just at least take away all of the negative war that's going to bring down a guy's career war, now let's just say, okay, 
who's put together two or three really solid seasons. And that I think is going to separate some from the pack. Then you can give bonus points for just an overall more consistent career. You know, Jeff Francis was a guy who was on the honorable mention list and he's got a lot of, I was going to say if, if, if we're doing that, I think Francis is the guy who benefits most from it because True. he True. also has the benefit of having like there, there's a lot of these guys. Chatwood and Chassin have the problem of their best years came when the Rockies were just bad. Yeah. And uh, some of these other guys, uh, particularly Jeff Francis, would have the benefit of his best season came during the Rockies' best season. Um, and then Ubaldo and Jorge De La Rosa both have that where they were really good when the Rockies were competitive. I think you can award bonus points for those playoff years, right? You look to see maybe who was kind of the leader of the staff in 95, 2007, 2009, 17 and 18. And you might say, okay, that's worth a little bit more because if you're leading the staff in, in the year 2000, 2001, there's actually, I went back and was looking at all this data and there were years in which if you look at the top 50 single season war leaders, uh, according to baseball reference for the Colorado Rockies, there are a handful of years in which you see little to nothing going on between 2001 to 2003. No one is in the top 50. So those three years, 01, 02, 03, back when you were spending $172 million on Mike Hampton and Danny Nagel. Right. Uh, that, that's oh, a little, we remember. <laughs> that's a little feeder. That's a little teaser for tomorrow's Rockies review, actually. Uh, where I jump, I jump into a, a pretty, uh, pretty big two series of games uh, that they mm. had both pitched back in 2001. But you kind of have those little vortexes where there's little to no representation of anybody contributing in any fashion whatsoever. So, you know, you, you take all those things into consideration and yet it, it might bump up a Jeff Francis. You know, he has his two best seasons aren't incredibly high up there, um, but he's he's got some in, in, in the 50 to the 100 range, so to speak, as far as starting pitchers go. And as we know, war can be particularly difficult on, on Rockies pitchers. And and I'm still kind of, there's a lot of stuff like war for pitchers that can be, a little bit wonky, but I also think that for the most part, it matches up with the eye test here. I do think it underrates a guy again, like Francis, where when you go back and look at, you know, the games he pitched in the years where the Rockies were competitive, most particularly 2007, uh, he was just a massive difference between them being there and not, um, you, you know, and, and some of those things are, are lost in the environment and, and we know all of that, but uh, yeah, it goes back to your first point. The Rockies haven't had great pitchers over their history. They just haven't. And and that's actually, I think symbolized by two of the guys who I did end up putting in into the top five. Um, but before we get there, were there any more of these fringe guys that we wanted to dive into? Did we miss any? Well, when, when compiling the, the list of the top 50 single seasons by, you know, uh, B-War, Baseball Reference War, uh, and again, you know, we, we know that there are no great metrics that can really capture what it means to hit at Coors Field as well as to pitch at Coors Field, right? We, we know that. Uh, but all of these guys have that same element and that same factor. So I think 
for this group, it's the one time it's fair and we can say, okay, well, this is clearly better than that. Sure, there's there could be a little degree, you know, an element of of there being some variability, but for the most part, in this case, we can say that they're, you know, fairly true. Um, guys who have had two years within the top uh, one, uh, top fifty uh, for starting pitchers in WAR, Brian Bohannon had two seasons at right. three point one. Uh, in 1999 and in the year 2000, uh, as referenced, Tyler Chatwood uh, had a season at 3.5 in 2013, and in 2016 was at 3.3. 3. Uh, we have the two for Jeff Francis, and uh, and the two guys I had mentioned earlier, Armando Reynoso in '93 at 3.2, um, and in '96 had a 3.4 WAR. And John Thompson in 97-98 had a 2.8 and a 2.7 war. So those are the guys that have had at least two seasons within the top 50 uh, all-time uh, for Rockets right. pitchers. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the other things, the other patterns that emerges as we go through all of this, you'll start to see is that these guys who do have good individual seasons often don't last very long. Uh, Ubaldo Jimenez is probably the poster child of this. Of course, he made the rotation. And, of course, he's number one in the rotation. That's not really a surprise uh, to anybody. But, yeah, he is he is the poster child for this kind of difficulty. Him and, like, I think Aaron Cook, two guys who made the rotation, represent the opposite end of the, the spectrum. Cook is in there basically because he lasted so long. He threw so many damn innings at Coors Field, and he was never terrible. Was he ever – elite no was he ever even great here and there uh, i would say you know for stretches throughout um seasons and he was really good at the beginning of the year i don't know how much you know about his story patrick in 2007 with him getting the blood clot um and having to miss uh really important parts of the year and, and he didn't actually come back. i think he missed more than half the season all of the postseason then the Rockies lost the first three games of the World Series to the Red Sox, and Aaron Cook came back and pitched in game four at Coors Field uh, in the World Series. Uh, and he had meant so much to the organization. He pitched for so long. He was getting near the end of his career, but he started that season so well, and it was, um, I think it was very similar to the Scott Oberg um, blood clot situation. And it's just like this, not even a baseball-related injury, just this horrible thing that happened. And zero people had a problem with him taking the ball in game four of the World Series, you know, cold, basically. Uh, and he pitched well. He's not the reason they lost that game. Uh, so, And that, that, that says a lot, right? That says a lot that you say even, even a guy like that who has missed so much time that, you know what, he's going to find something. He's going to do something. I, I, Chassin was very much like, a, you know, I don't want to say Jorge De La Rosa light, but like, I, I think they're, they're in some ways cut from the same cloth. You know, you, you make a good point about, you know, De La Rosa, I think really liked the challenge of, of pitching at altitude, whereas Chassin might've, you know, skirted away from that, you know, and, and kind of tapping out a bit early. But, you know, I think both of them are on, on the, you know, same side of the spectrum as far as being effective, you know, uh, being effective starting pitchers. One of the other things I wanted to look at you think about elements of, of being a successful pitcher in Colorado is FIP. So for those who don't know, FIP is fielders independent pitching. So 
taking out a lot of the elements of of there being a large outfield, um, positioning of players, and and almost dumb luck, right? So if you have a good FIP, that means you're getting guys out on your own. You're you are controlling the things you can control, right? You're not walking a lot of hitters. That's something that a pitcher can control, and you're not giving up a lot of home runs, which is another thing a pitcher can control. And you're striking guys out. Those are the things that you can do as a pitcher to you know, have a little bit more dominance. So I went back to look at, again, the all-time records for Rockies pitchers. And Ubaldo, the first and the third highest FIP of, of any pitcher in Rockies history. Number two was John Gray. But there were a couple others that had jumped out, like Tyler Anderson's 2016 season. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Ruffin from the inaugural season in 1993. Hey. Um, who had, that was, I believe it was his only season as a starter. Like he, or he had kind of gone back and forth. I, I remember seeing him in Philadelphia, believe it or not, when he was with the Phillies in the, mm-hmm. the early 90s, um, at least somewhat. And then Bruce Ruffin uh, and Brian Bohan and making the podcast today. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, we got to do awesome. our, our diligence here with this. So, uh, and then the, the final one that was interesting, he was uh, had uh, back to back seasons in 09 and, and 2010. So, again, talking about pitching well in a playoff year. Um, at 13th and 14th highest all-time FIP was Jason Hamill. Yeah, Hamill was another one of those guys who um, had his best years at the right time with the Rockies, too. He was really good in 07 um, and 09, I want to say. That sounds correct. Um, Both those years that they went to the postseason. So, um, And he was just solid. He was one of those guys who rarely – you know, dominated, but he didn't blow up at Coors Field. If he gave up two or three runs in the first couple of innings, you you thought, okay, well, that's probably it. He's still he'll find a way to go five or six, and we'll see what happens from there. And um, Jason Hirsch was the guy in 07. Yeah, you're right. Will Will makes a great point there. Um, Jason Hirsch is awesome. Different, <laughs> different Jason H. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you get some of your tall Jason H's mixed up here and there. I find I always find it interesting when going back and looking at at some of these guys, you know, because the Rockies have not um, done a great job historically on on the trade front, right? They've, you know, the Herman Marquez deal seems to be the one that jumps out as as being you know pretty obvious and great. All the other ones are, you know, they it can go either way, but and 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 the Rockies actually historically have done a good job of finding relievers. Like they'll make a trade for a guy who'll have a career year in Colorado, like a Gabe White, and 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 there's there's a handful of those guys out there. Um, but I always find it interesting when you see a guy going from Colorado to another location, and then him increasing his value, and then being swapped for even more. So in the case of Jason Hamill, the Rockies had to give Hamill and Matt Lindstrom. Nice, nice little reliever to Baltimore for Jeremy Guthrie, who did start on opening day of, of 2020, oh. but didn't, didn't get what they wanted to out of Guthrie. Well, when Guthrie he, is the all time quit on the team guy, he even basically came out and said, I quit on the team. Yeah. And he, so then Hamill's, uh, you know, signs as a free agent with the Cubs, similar to Tyler Chatwood, and then goes over in a package deal with Jeff Samarja for amongst others, Addison Russell. Right. Time all-star. So again, it's interesting how a pitcher gets older and yet you can get a top prospect like Addison Russell for a pitcher as soon as he leaves Coors Field. So that that's just the story of the Rockies and they can't do anything about that. There's, there's nothing that 
you know, a GM with a magical touch. I don't even think if Dave Dombrowski came to Colorado and traded any and every prospect, which he would do, which he would do, <laughs> if, if he would really have any diamonds in the rough in that instance, it's just, it's just a cost of doing business at altitude. Yeah. In fact, there may be only one thing you could do. Ooh, what's that? He brought his name up earlier, but I got to tell you the following statistics brought to you by manscaped because you're going to need to be clean and fresh for what's about to come your way you're not going to be able to handle the fire you're going to get lit up if you're all you know unkempt down there you don't want to be unkempt you want to get the lawnmower 3.0 you want to get look i'll tell you it's worth it for all the good smelling stuff you get in the package the 3.0 kit, it's fantastic. You're going to have stuff to make yourself smell fantastic, to make yourself feel fantastic, and, yeah, to shape it up a little bit. Make sure that you save your balls. That's what you got to do. Save your balls. Make you sure you don't nick them. <laughs> make sure you don't nick them. Make sure you're clean for the following statistic, because if you are not... Oh, sorry. It'll singe you. You're going to get singed. I know most people know it. I never stop getting blown away by this. Again, Manscaped. What's the buzz, oh. man? What's the buzz on this right now? Come on. Jorge De La Rosa won 72% of the games that wow. he pitched at Coors Field. Wow. He went 53 and 20. That, um, I made a little joke in the article about. You know, we talk about unbroken, un unbreakable records in pro sports. And you can, yeah. and, and there's, you can you slash stuff up however you want to come up with a record. I'm not sure anybody ever is going to win 72% of their games at Coors Field, visitor, uh, home player, or otherwise. If you could, and it's funny because I gave you Baldo Jimenez the top spot because it's because we're baseball people and we look at the numbers and go, holy shit, that guy struck a lot of people out. And that's it's just it's just and and you remember like waking up in the morning, going, Ubaldo's gonna pitch today. I'm getting in front of a television. And I don't know that we ever felt that way about Jorge De La Rosa. But if you no, were being a, a smart GM and and you could give Patrick Lyons, GM of the Rockies, a magic wand. And say you can clone one player, and you get five of him, and that's your starting rotation. I, I uh, knowing you're going to play so many games at Coors Field, I think the answer might be Jorge De La Rosa, especially when you look at the longevity of his career uh, as well. I would, I would clone Ubaldo De La Rosa. That's who yeah. I would, I would clone. I have to do a little DNA splicing. I just can't. If we're if we're getting into the cloning business, we might as well take it to the next step and and do yeah. some splicey splice. I but, love it. But again, like that, that's just unheard of to to have that kind of 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 a winning percentage at Coors Field. And he didn't do this over two three years, right? The guys we've mentioned for for honorable mention are guys who you know pitched well, not great, but like really well for two or three years. De La Rosa made a career out of that. That's why last year, when it seemed like he was pretty much all but done as a professional, he signed a deal with Colorado. And they said, yeah, come on back, you know, train down in Scottsdale 
and they worked with him and you know it, it never came to fruition right ultimately it probably would have been as a reliever but a guy who has that kind of mindset and you know we talked about that in the, the denver sports podcast you know this afternoon about the mentality of of prospects and what's needed in order for the talent to come to fruition and 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 to live up to expectation and it's one of the reasons why the Rockies have all of their minor league affiliates in a location where the pitchers are going to be beat to crap because they need to get right. used to it, frankly. Right. And what are you going to do when you give up back-to-back doubles to start a game? It's one nothing. You know, you still have seven more innings to go. So get that out of your head, forget it, and get tough. And Jorge De La Rosa was one of those guys that, that knew, shoot, a quality start at Coors could essentially be five innings giving up four earned runs. And there's a lot of guys that couldn't really deal I'm with that. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. They could 100%. They couldn't deal with it. And Jorge was like, you'd see him after games. You'd just be like, hey, we got the win. <laughs> you know, just like that's what it was about for him. And, and he figured out a way to mentally absorb all the runs he was going to give up. And the fact that the ER way wasn't going to be what it, you know, there was only one period of time where Jorge De La Rosa really flirted with dominance. And it's sad, dude, because there was basically this half a season at the end of 2009 where Ubaldo Jimenez and Jorge De La Rosa, it was the spliced pitcher you were talking about. The Rockies had arguably for the only time in their history for about a two month span, the best one, two pitching combination in baseball. They really did. Uh, Ubaldo was on fire. Jorge De La Rosa was actually better at the time because Ubaldo was like building up toward the run. He would go on in 2010. De La Rosa was absolutely destroying people. And if I'm not mistaken, he was throwing a no hitter in Los Angeles at the Dodgers. In a, and again, the Rockies. This was the year the Rockies would go on to their most wins ever. Late in the season, when he got hurt, uh, and he would end up missing. The NLDS, the Rockies lost to the Phillies in a very, very close uh, series, but it was just heartbreaking fashion. Houston Street giving it up uh, at the end to Ryan Howard. I'm getting down the the rabbit hole now, but <laughs> um, that that was the best dominant pitching this franchise has ever seen with those two guys for that short period of time, and it fell apart so sadly. And and that's what it's going to take for the Rockies to get back to the top of the mountain. It's it, they're going to need two strong horse, you know, workhorse pitchers at the top of the rotation, a competent number three and, and a four and five guy that can get them through the season. But ultimately you, you don't have to rely on them that much. And that's when you can go into the playoffs and do it. <laughs> Absolutely. You need those two guys. And and then 17, you know, they, they had it with with Gray and, and Marquez, and, and unfortunately, they, they weren't able to go anywhere after getting knocked out by the Diamondbacks. But you saw once they were able to, you know, get past uh, the Cubs in 2018 that they had a legitimate shot. Now, you know, the bats didn't come together, and, and starting pitching really, you know, um, didn't didn't do so well in Milwaukee. But I mean, that rotation of of a uh, rehabilitated John Gray, Kyle Freeland fourth place in, in the Cy Young voting and, right. and Herman Marquez, those were the guys. And Antonio Sanzatella was, was no joke at that time either. So that right. 2018 squad, you know, really could have, could have done some things, but you don't get to the playoffs unless you have that, 
that full rotation headed by two guys. You need a two-headed monster. No two ways about it. Well, speaking of two-headed monster, those were the guys that filled out the bottom of my rotation. And I'll say this. I tried to talk myself out of it, but I do think that this is part of why, regardless of whatever else was and is going on in the world and whenever baseball comes back, why my opinion about the Rockies is probably five to ten wins more than a lot of other people's opinions about the Rockies are. They've got two of their five best starting pitchers of all time in my mind, and they're both still in their mid-20s. I guess John's now 28, so he's he's right in the middle of his physical prime here. But John Gray and Herman Marquez are the best strikeout artists in team history so far, if you're just going off of Ks per nine. And they obviously haven't been around quite long enough to build up certain counting stats, like, say, wins or even total war. Uh, those you've talked about already, they do have some individual seasons under their belt that are pretty impressive so far, especially when you consider age. Um, and so, you know, there's a little bit of projecting into the future here, but it's also a, like just assuming they're not going to fall completely off the table, which we've seen, which we've definitely seen before. Um, but, but even in that way, like you can pretty much already, I think gray already actually just has to be there. Marquez, I'm projecting a little bit. Sure. You're, you're not erring on the side of caution, but you know that he's got more positive four seasons than negatives, right? Cause, cause if, if, if you go ahead and, and, and subtract, you know, a couple bad seasons, then, you know, he's going to look like a Jeff Francis possibly and his, his career war is going to get impacted by that. But, you know, to, to go back to the, the numbers that we're looking at, cause let's face it, there's, there are ways that we can evaluate pitchers. And since they're all Rockies pitchers, we can see that Herm, Herman Marquez is according to FIP, right? Getting guys out, controlling the things that you can control has the fourth highest all time and has two other appearances. So he's, he's got three already and essentially three full seasons. So he's delivered on that. And you know what else I like about it along those same lines? He's got the lowest walk rate as a starter in, in franchise history, and he just turned 25. Again, yeah. so it's like <laughs> you can control. And you know what? There's a guy, some of you remember that I, I had some interest in. Uh, he was with the Twins and Cubs. And the dude always had such a low whip because he never walked anybody. But he never missed bats, so he would just give up doubles and homers all the time. <laughs> so you're like, wow, this guy should be really good. He's not putting anybody on base. Yeah, because he's just putting over the heart of the plate. He's, just, <laughs> he's giving up these meatballs. Um, but Marquez, like you said, he's not walking guys, so that means he's throwing more strikes. Well, what's happening with those strikes? They're, they're being hit on the ground, right? They're, they're uh, weak, weak hits, weak singles, things of that nature, and he's, he's really effective. He's already sixth in career war as far as starting pitchers go. So you say, all right, he's not fifth, but he's sixth. But then uh, if you look at career ERA, he's fourth. Yeah. So, you know, you, you take that and, and you can, you can push a guy like, uh, let me see who on the list ended up getting affected. No, no, he's, he's fifth among starting pitchers. He's yeah. fifth among starting pitchers. Uh, Steve Reed is, is fifth overall, but he of course is a reliever. So, yeah. Herman Marquez right there. If you just look at career war for such a young guy, there's a reason why they locked him up to a long-term 
deal, right? They, they've got mm-hmm. his services essentially until 2021. I, I think, like you said, with, with John Gray there and the, the two headed monster between Gray and Marquez, and you could, you could potentially throw Kyle Freeland into that. But the saddest part I think about, um, well, it's not the saddest part of COVID-19, but one of the sad things for Rockies fans, if we're just focusing on Rockies baseball, is that if there is no 2020 season or if it's incredibly abbreviated, that means you only have next year. You only have 2021 with John Gray in your rotation. And after that, he's a free agent. And after that, we find out what the rest of the 29 teams thinks about the the wolf of, of Blake Street. Yeah. And he very easily could be somewhere else to start the 2020 he could, he could get sniped. I think my gut, maybe a little bit too much in my heart, tells me they're going to offer him an extension. I, What I don't know is whether or not he'll take it. Mm. It'll, I mean, it'll depend on what it is. I mean, we all – Show me, show me the money. Uh, but I, I think, I hope they'll give him a fair offer. I do think they'll give him an offer. All right, folks, we're going to cut this conversation off here, if for no other reason than because right as I thought we were about to wrap up, Patrick and I got into a much larger conversation about how the Colorado Rockies are going to be able to build going into their future with all of these contracts that are coming up around the same time. Guys, they need to pay more. Guys who are going to be paid less. How many can they keep? Uh, it turned into a much deeper, more interesting conversation than we were expecting. So we're going to save that for a part two of this podcast. So thank you so much for listening into this one. Make sure that you've got your Breck Brew situation taken care of. You can order from Drizzly. If you're nearby, order from their farmhouse. It really does help them out. You can get some curbside pickup. And I know that they will be very impressed and appreciative if you're manscaped when you swing by. They may not know, but they'll feel it in their bones that you are because you'll be fresh and clean and confident. So thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the podcast. Stay tuned for the second half of it where Patrick and I really dive in to the future of the Rockies and basically just end up talking to each other about how we might build and what we think is the best route to take here. Uh, If you had to move a member of the core, who would it be? We'll get into all of that, but we got kind of away from our best starting pitchers in history conversation. So we'll, we'll leave that there. Thank you so much for listening in. Make sure you're following on social media at DNVR underscore Rockies at Patrick D Lyons at Drew Creaseman. You're following and subscribing on all the podcast apps. Also to the Denver sports podcast and to the new gaming podcast. Make sure you've got that downloaded. You swing by the Twitch, give us a sub, especially if you've got Amazon prime, you can basically send us a little tiny little donation for free uh, to you. Just all you need to do is create a Twitch account. Just as easy as creating a Twitter account. You go and you click subscribe. You do it for free by linking your Amazon Prime account. You've helped us out. It's cost you uh, five minutes of your time. So uh, if, if you've got five minutes of your time, we would very much appreciate that. Other than that, all I can say is thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome. I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.